Because the whole world gone crazy! Just please, go nuts. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I mean, really, explore the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's down there somewhere. Let me take another one. Welcome to Beautiful Animals Podcast. Once again, this is your host over here, Andy Bosch. Hello, hello, hello. And over here on this other chair is your other host, Tyler Cole. You know, just listening to our intro just now, I'm realizing it makes a lot more sense than I ever thought. Isn't it weird how you come up with something and you don't realize how good it is you until think much later? Yeah, you think you're spouting bullshit and nonsense, and then... The more you think about it, the more it makes sense. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if the podcast made the intro or the intro made the podcast, <laughs> right? But the intro basically talks about everything we have talked about and will talk about on this podcast. So just listen to the intro a few times, and you'll be set. Yeah. Anyway, today we're going to discuss the second part of the book, "A Hero with a Thousand Faces" by Joseph Campbell, which is called Part Two: The Cosmogonic Cycle which is essentially the hero's journey, but replicated on the scale of the entire universe. So get ready for some uh, weird shit. So we, we start, last week we kind of started down the road of this, this book by Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Part one of that book covers the hero's journey, which we spoke about last week. Beginning, middle, and end. The call, the initiation, and then the return. But there are further implications of this sort of template that we're going to talk about today, and it's covered in part two of Joseph Campbell's book, and it's called The Cosmo- Cosmogonic Cosmogonic Cycle. Thank you. Yeah, we looked it up, and it's uh, cosmogonic, according to the internet, <laughs> but cosmogonic makes a little more sense to me, but also makes less sense to me. I don't know. Cosmogonic. Cosmogonic. Yeah, how, what the hell does that even mean, cosmogonic? Uh, what's, uh, it means you... the birth of the cosmos, oh. right? So, like, cosmo- referencing the cosmos the collected universe yeah there's the cosmos and then there's one cosmo yep and then gonic just means production of Hmm. like birth of okay so the cosmogonic so it's kind of cosmogenic but they just spelled it wrong yeah 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 they spelled it wrong (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's it (laughs) we'll blame it (laughs) so anyway the cosmogonic cycle what that means is is the cycle of the universal uh birth decay death and rebirth which is operates in parallel to the hero's journey or i should say not in parallel but it's like a concentric circle right or it's like fractal patterns or it's like what have we talked about as above so below yeah just right? everything that you can observe on a small scale nor normal scale you can observe on a large scale yeah or a microscopic scale everything circles man and it's all it turns out it's all concentric circles and it all emanates out it's all the same way out at the top and way down inside of the beginning Anyway, so the cosmogonic cycle is the death and rebirth cycle of the universe at large, told through um, the template of mythological stories. Mm-hmm. So most myths and like most mythological traditions and folkloric traditions of every society, pretty much every you know continued society that's lasted for a long time, has a story of how did the universe get made, where did it come from. And then what happened to it along the way? And what's going to happen to it? How is it going to end? People have been asking these questions since there have been people. And so there are stories to answer those questions. It's an interesting question because I don't think that the answer could be known, really, because that process takes a really friggin' long time. And so what do you think they're going to frame those stories on then? If, If you can't actually answer the question of where did the universe come from, where is it going, and how is it going to end then what do you think those stories that answer that question are actually about? What are they about? That's a good question. <laughs> well, well, they're mirrors for the smaller cycles that exist in our lives on a daily, oh, yeah. annual, and in, an internal generational basis, right? Yeah. You know, we see the birth, life, death, and rebirth every year. Seasonal cycle. In the seasonal cycle, yeah, spring, right? Spring, summer, fall. Spring, yeah. We see things grow, age, die. And then come back out of nowhere, right? We see that in our own lives. We see our family members and friends becoming these new and different people and then aging and then dying. And But another part of the tribe or part of the society being born and growing up and becoming its own beautiful thing. So the idea is that the mythological representation of those cycles uh, is known as the cosmogonic cycle. And the universe, according to these traditions, goes through the exact same processes. Comes from nothing, comes into being exists for a while all these heroes journeys all of the heroes journeys are going to occur 
in that middle period, in the trial period for the universe. You could even say that each of us plays a part in the trials of the universe to make sure that it's worthy, right? Because we're all these little micro pieces of the universe at large, and we all need to achieve our apotheosis and receive our ultimate boon so that the whole universe itself can continue to be propelled forward. And if we don't answer the call, the universe can't answer the call. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I wonder, I mean, because like all those theories were kind of developed before before it was really understood, not to say that it's even really well understood now, what the cycle of the universe is. I think the current, the current understanding is that, yeah, there was the Big Bang, and then all this energy kind of dissipated in matter and stuff, and then everything's expanding, and then there's kind of come a point where that energy's kind of done dissipating. That's yeah, and the, it won't be able to continue to grow. Yeah, that's the heat death of the universe, and everything's kind of floating out there, and then very, very slowly, this is a very slow process, everything just slowly, gravitationally re- Pulls everything back together. Forming, like, I mean, it's already starting. There's black holes and- all those black holes will combine into one big black hole, and then the whole universe will hole... collapse into that one black hole yeah, and form another big bang, and then and then boom, we snap back. And that's our current understanding of the universe, I think. Yeah, but I don't know who the fuck knows if that's even true because because it can't be really known. I don't think with our ability of understanding. So before the hero's journey, we discussed it in three parts: right, the call, the initiation, and the return. The cosmogonic cycle, Joseph Campbell refers to in these three basic parts, emanations or beginnings, transformations, and then dissolutions. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're talking about. The whole universe is created, Big Bang. It grows and all these elements combine to create planets and gravity is formed and life is formed. Those are all transformations. And then eventually the energy is going to run out. There'll be a, you know, universal dissolution and everything will collapse back into itself. What's interesting is I think... Proto form to be born again. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, like, different parts of the universe are at different parts of that stage, just because, like, here on Earth and in this solar system, we're in this part of the stage, but not very many places. Right. Only a few trillion places (laughs) in the universe are in that stage. (laughs) Only a few trillion, yeah. And the rest of the universe is just a bunch of rocks floating around and a bunch of gas and a bunch of of nothing. Just like our own bodies are a bunch of nothing. (laughs) Yeah. There's certain areas of us are organized in certain ways to (laughs) make ourselves look like certain things that we recognize as human beings. But uh, here's a good quote from Joseph Campbell that talks about what we're talking about right now. Basically, we're saying where, you know, from whence is the universe created, right? From this energy source, this sort Mm. of absolute energy source. He says it like this. This power, known to science as energy, the Melanesians as mana, the Sioux Indians as Wakonda, the Hindus as Sakti, and the Christians as the power of God, is the ultimate emanating force for the creation of the universe. So he calls it out in this, saying, yeah, science is just another one yeah, of another, these mythological frameworks. Just another attempt at explaining. Yeah, I mean, we're only, we're these tiny little three-dimensional beings in this supermassive, who knows how many dimensional universe. <laughs> yeah. It's great that we try, though. <laughs> like, you know, uh, it's fun. It's really cool. Like, the, all the coolest parts of humanity are the fact that we try to, like, understand and explain this ununderstandable and unexplainable aspect that we are nonetheless aware of it's called fucking around and finding out it is it is called fucking around and finding out man (laughs) be it with mushrooms or with meditation or with giant lasers that measure gravitational waves inside the planet earth that's all just fucking around and trying to find out (laughs) yeah these huge magnificent concepts that lend like beauty and resilience and you know this incalculable value to our lives that we are aware of but cannot understand fully unless you reach apotheosis and become Buddha or Jesus. I wonder if apotheosis is an actual understanding or if it's just you think you understand. I think that thinking you understand is just as good. As <laughs> it's as close as you're going to get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of oh. do. I mean, I think that the, you know, I really want to do an episode on the observer effect. Oh, yeah. Because I don't really understand it. But I think my l- limited understanding of the observer effect leads me to believe that the difference between thinking you're having an epiphany where you understand everything and having an epiphany where you understand everything is slim to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The nature of everything has changed to match your observation of it <laughs> enough to make it real. Do you oh, know yeah. what I'm no saying? Shit. Yeah. And yeah. that can be observed, I think. And uh, I mean, that's what the observer, I mean, you know. What your understanding is, is just the story, the narrative of what the universe is. That's your narrative that you've created, and it fits because it, that's your understanding. I don't fucking know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> it right It can't there. be understood, and it can't be explained. Yeah. 
but by understanding and explaining it, you have made it that way. We're all God. <laughs> <laughs> like Carl Jung learned in his weird dreams, mm-hmm. when you try to define God, you limit God's actual mm-hmm. what God is. When you try but to define divinity, you, you lose something of the definition by defining it. The divinity, magic, is that which exists outside of the realm of definition and explanation. You can't encapsulate it or trap it or cage it or pieces of it are then gone because it is the uncapturable and unexplainable. That is the nature of the thing. Cool. Far out. I remember. Dude, when, yeah. We should do a deep dive on the term far out. Yeah, we should. <laughs> I mean, we are. Yeah. The fucking problem with this, this fucking series, this <laughs> thing that we're doing is that everything is the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating because it's like, yeah, we are doing a deep dive on Far Out. We're just going to talk about the same fucking shit. (laughs) We're talking about this cosmogenic bullshit and we're going to be, all it is is just a bigger version of the Seculum. I know. (laughs) And all the fucking Shackleton's adventure was just a smaller version of the Seculum. Fucking hero's journey. Yeah. Another smaller type version of the Seculum. Yeah. Everything is just an echo of an emanation of a reflection of a shadow and fuck. (laughs) (laughs) This is getting weird. I like it. I know. Anyway, so like the hero's journey, the cosmogonic cycle can be broken up into three parts. The beginning, called emanations, the middle, which we refer to as transformations, and the end, which is called dissolutions. So when we talk about emanations, (laughs) we're talking about the birth of the universe. You know what's crazy to me is like the Big Bang theory is not that far removed from first there was nothing and then God said let there be light. Exactly, it's just a longer version of it because like... People that were creating their own versions of creation myths at the time didn't have the capabilities of understanding what was outside of the earth. Right. So they had a much had to have a much smaller scale version yeah. of Yeah, they just had a, a local or regional version. Yeah, they're just like, Oh yeah, the There was nothing. Yeah. And then there was something. Yeah. And then God said, Let there be light and boom, there was everything. But of course to them everything was their region of Earth. Yeah. Even then though, like in these creation myths, there's sort of an understanding of nothing and then also the sky and the earth because typically the the first sort of two things that are created are the sky and the earth a lot of the times they're created out of the ocean like out of primordial waters almost so they kind of view like what is outside of the sky as this ocean and there's still some of it here but Mm -hmm. it was like everything was just ocean and then like they created this dome to keep the out out and they created the earth to keep the out out from below. <laughs> and, and so there's like the ocean outside of the sky, this little dome, and then the ocean outside of the earth, which is, a, you know, kind of a little dome. Yeah. They didn't understand that a planet was round like that. <laughs> <laughs> round like a circle. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, like even, even the Christian religion of let there be light is the same as the accepted, you know, scientific version of... A big bang. There was nothing, and then suddenly there was all of the building blocks of what would what would become our universe. Yeah, there's the first day was yeah. Let's run through it. Light. Second day, sky. Mm-hmm. Third day, dry land, sea, and yep. plants and trees. Fourth day, sun and moon and stars. Fifth day, sea creatures. Sixth day, land creatures. Those were presented in that story mm-hmm. in the order that they actually happened. Almost. Yeah, like... I mean, the only thing that's out of order is, like, that the Earth is before the stars. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, the sun and moon and... Yeah. But, I mean, that's the only... Th- Honestly, that's the only thing they got wrong. Yeah. That's, o- that's only one thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I mean, who, we have a tendency as a species, which makes a lot of sense, to center things on ourselves because we're looking out from ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So, in that... When, you, when you're looking out from something, you feel like that thing is the center. So, we started things out with Earth. And then filled in the stars, right? But as we understand more and more, you know, we realize that maybe we're not the center of everything. We're an outlying edge of everything. And even though it's not correct, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. The stuff is being created from a limited perspective. It's usually still kind of pretty fucking accurate. Yeah. I mean, that's what's cool about. Well, you know, here's here's another way to look at it, though. Is it accurate or are we just repeating our same assumptions on the data? Just a larger data set. You know what I mean? Because before we made up these myths based on the data set of what we could see and experience in a regional and local expression of ourselves. 
Now we are extrapolating these ideas from a larger data set, but it's still not a complete data set. Yeah. So are we just still falling to the same sort of fallacies? Or biases. Could, oh yeah, could yeah. Be the, the <laughs> it's just a, you know we're just still repeating that same the like, data that we're creating now scientifically. We're just kind of using that to confirm our bias of this is before. how everything came from. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, our understanding of the universe now, the Big Bang and the heat death and all that shit, it follows fuck? the same thing. And it's yeah. obviously we can't prove it because that would take fourteen billion years. Yeah, and we don't have that kind of time here on Earth. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, either they got it right or we just always agree with ourselves. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, either way, I, I vote for them. Yeah, it's like cool they got the water animals before the land animals even. Right? I think, you know, we've had the same brains for a long time, like 60,000 years or something like that. Yeah. Or even longer. Our capacity for complex thought has not increased in 60,000 years. Yeah, we just have much. more tools. Yeah. And so, I mean, probably back then people were looking at fish and being like, we might have come from those. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. It's like, just like our ability to prove it. You like see a fish, and then you see a salamander, and then you see a cat, and then you see a monkey, and then you see a person. You're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there were probably people back there. They were like, oh, definitely. It became a really big deal later on when Darwin was like, oh, evolution. But I would bet a million dollars that some human being in the previous sixty thousand years of human existence thought like, yeah, we probably came from animals. Yeah, there's no such thing as original thought. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a really good point that the human brain hasn't really changed in such a long time. And to think that people that long ago were unable to make the same observations we're making. I mean, yeah, we have a lot of shortcuts, meaning like books and this information that's already we're able to absorb a lot. Yeah, quicker. we have a lot of stuff that we take as a given yeah, that other huge... people have quote unquote proven for us. Yeah, but that's, uh... the prepositions. Who's to suggest that someone didn't think like, man, I wish there was a way I could figure out this. I bet this is true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because all all, all scientific discovery comes from someone thinking it first and yeah. then trying to prove it. Yeah. And Typically, the, pro the proof that the conclusion that they make is just these creation myths. The ancient Greeks had a, a pretty similar creation myth to the seven days origin story of Judeo-Christian. In the ancient Greek cosmogony reported by this, oh, there was this, um, poet like way long time ago around the same era as homer named hesiod who wrote down what is commonly believed to be the ancient greek creation mythological story it begins with chaos which is uh the yawning nothingness yeah well it's interesting There's that's general state of disorder right yeah which is uh not what preceded the universe but what preceded the earth yeah yeah. yeah, it's just this part of the universe before the earth before earth came to being and then out of the void emerged gaia which is the earth and some other primary divine beings. Of course, Gaia, chaos is a god also, and Gaia is a god. But with Gaia also emerged Eros, which is love, the abyss, which is Tartarus. And then Gaia gave birth to Uranus, which is the sky. But then the sky fertilized the earth and uh, the titans were born. The you know, there was nothing and then there was the earth and then the sky was birthed from the earth one interesting thing about the um about the ancient greek myth is that love came into being at the exact same time as earth like it's the huh. two most like primordial ancient elements that's interesting because yeah, it, it, yeah the concept of love showed up before Humanity. the beings which yeah. were able to experience it so yeah that's older than we are way older yeah it, which lends itself to the idea that like when you're when you fall in love or you're like struck by love, it feels like an outside force working through you as opposed to like just an internal desire. It's like you can't stop yourself from it, you know. Also, the idea of abyss and the way they mean abyss, not, not just like not like the colloquial or not like the general understanding of abyss, how it's just a hole or like a well, it, it is and it isn't a like deep depth. it's more it's more the um. Maybe the psychological understanding of abyss, like mm. the understanding of nothingness, the nature of nothingness, like and and they're kind of diametrically opposing that to love, love and despair. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. okay, the abyss of despair. Yeah, there's emptiness versus wholeness. I guess. Yeah, wholeness yeah. and fullness uh -huh. of love, right? Versus emptiness and coldness and darkness of despair, right? Yeah. So there's earth and then love and despair are kind of the three sort of starting factors forces or elements yeah. yeah uh anyway so there's gaia right and then eros and then abyss and then gaia produces unaided so again th this is also a common theme 
in origin stories is the Immaculate Conception. We know it most familiarly from the story of Jesus Christ yeah, we know and the that. Virgin Mary, yeah. right? And again, this happens, the cosmogonic cycle is then repeated in the hero's journey. So the Immaculate Conception that we see in this case where Gaia, the mother goddess Earth, is birthing the next god, which is this like father sky figure, that's an immaculate conception. Gaia doesn't need a partner to create the sky. Mm. Neither does that. Th- that theme is repeated in in Greek myths as well at the level of the hero's journey, where there are heroes born of a virgin mother, mm-hmm. and then we see it again repeated later on down the line with the Virgin Mary and the birth of the baby Jesus Christ. Again, the cosmogonic cycle is just a a bigger template. I think it's where, because people have to struggle with the idea of something coming from nothing, <laughs> like some yeah. of that immaculate conception and virgin birth idea, I think is just a leftover of that. Mm, yeah, just a way of getting around how or, something good come from nothing. Yeah, a way of expressing yeah. like l- life came from nothing first, and then it came from the pairing of these opposites. Because that's another thing that we'll see in the cosmogonic cycle is like, first things are born, and that's the beginning part, the emanations part of the cosmogonic cycle. And then there's the transformations part. And once we get to the transformations part, and we're about to get there, I'm skipping ahead, then we see that there's all these opposites, right? There's the balance of all these opposites, and typically life comes from where you can create a union of opposites and then birth something from it. But this idea of immaculate conception of virgin birth goes all the way back, you know, to these very first emanating sequences of, like, just the sort of divine inspiration, divine energy that creates everything can create life from the mother goddess mother like womb figure of earth so there's just like gaia and then there's sky in the christian tradition it's like the god figure is like more anthropomorphized Mm -hmm. than in a lot of other mythological traditions because he directly communicates at least in the old testament directly communicates with he's like hey 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 adam you hey Hey. come here let's wrestle in this river <laughs> cut your son's dick off. Cut your son, cut his I dick mean, not, off. Not the whole thing, just the tip. Just the tip, just for a second, just cut it off. No, don't throw it at me. Fuck. No. <laughs> he does. Huh? He does do that. Anyway, uh, Old Testament's fucking weird. Yeah, we gotta do an Old Testament oh, episode, yeah. but just like just the weird shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just, we'll just we should also do a Leviticus episode. Oh, fucking completely. Leviticus is so fucking fucking weird. <laughs> but yeah, so the, this idea of immaculate conception is repeated at every level of the hero's journey and the cosmogonic cycle mother goddess gaia then sky or jesus but what i was trying to say is like the in the christian tradition judeo-christian tradition god is anthropomorphized into like a being a god but if you're looking at it in the ancient greek tradition the the thing that plays the role of god is just this sort of divine energy beginning divine energy yeah which right and it it spawned gaia and then the sun, which is the sky, right? So if you're thinking the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Father, the Son, and the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. this sort of trio of things, it's just primordial energy, then Gaia, then sky, and as opposed to God, Virgin Mary, Jesus. Yeah. But it's the same. The Triforce. It's the tri- it is the Triforce. We're going to get there. Everything <laughs> is the Triforce. Uh-huh. <laughs> three is a good number. That's uh, We should do an episode on the number three. Well, the whole Holy Trinity thing is like everywhere. It's like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere repeated. Which probably just because three is a good number. Yeah, but why is three such a good number? Because of the fucking... Because it's... Because of the Holy Trinity. Fits on yeah. one hand. Why wouldn't it be five then? You know, the older humans had uh, three fingers. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> go. I mean, the thumb's not a finger, but neither is the pinky. The pinky's fucking useless. Yeah. Yeah. There's three periods, right? Emanations, transformations, and then dissolutions. Emanations is where you have the real creation events. So God saying, let there be light. Or in this case, because right now we're just talking about the ancient Greek tradition, Gaia being created from nothing, which is Gaia being the earth, mm-hmm. and then sky being born from Gaia and through an immaculate conception, as we discussed. And then through the union of sky and earth come the first of the sort of pairs of opposites that we see expressed in a lot of different cultures and mythological experiences. Yeah. So if you think about the Greek gods, there's the gods of war and the gods of the ocean and the gods of love and these sort of gods that represent opposite sides of different realms of human experience, right? Yeah. With the Greek tradition, the first these first groups were called the Titans, and there were six Titans born. So just to reiterate, it began with nothing or chaos, and then Gaia came into being and Eros at the same time, and then Uranus, which was the representation of the sky, 
Mm-hmm. And then through the union of Gaia and Uranus, the sky and the earth, there were born 12 beings, which were titans, six male and six female, who represented these different elements and aspects of human experience, such as time, memory, the ocean, things like that. Questionings, like we were talking a little bit about Logos versus Eros. So the idea, Coyus, his whole thing is query or questioning or that oh, sort of just wonder thought. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so these 12 titans were born along with the Cyclopses and Hecatoncheries, or hundred-handed ones, three monstrous giants of enormous size and strength with 50 heads 50 and 100 heads. arms. They would end up helping Zeus and the Olympians, who are the later subset of the gods, to defeat the Titans. The whole Greek myth is pretty complicated, but um, another pretty common motif that's found in many different myth- mythologies that's found in ancient Greek mythology where there's the father against son battle. Oh, yeah. Uranus was the father of all the Titans, right? He's the sky god. And he ends up being killed by Cronus, the time mm-hmm. god, who like overthrows him and then becomes the becomes his mom's lover. Mm, step god. Yeah. And, or you know, becomes but Cronus overthrows the sky god mm-hmm. and then couples with the earth god. So now it's time and earth okay. create the gods we're more commonly used to, including Zeus. But then later, Zeus and the Olympians, who are the sort of lesser gods after the Titans, Zeus will get together with his brothers and sisters and overthrow his father, Cronus, time. Oh. So then Zeus- they got their own fucking saculum going on. They really do. I mean, again, it's all- it's all the same shit. Uh, so then Zeus, you know, betrays Cronus, the his father, mm-hmm. and then he gets really paranoid about his kids betraying him because it seems to be a family thing. Oh, and Zeus has a bunch of kids, right? Because he fucks. Zeus fucks. But that's why he's always putting his kids into shitty situations. He doesn't want them to come back and overthrow them. Mm. But what I meant to get at by bringing up this whole Greek, ancient Greek mythology is this sort of transition from the beginning period of the cosmogonic cycle, which is emanations or like the creation of something from nothing to the second part, which is the transformations. And that's where there's more delineation and individuation of the different aspects of the universe and of life for human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Time, the ocean, thought. And you see these different elements of um, the human experience being identified as gods or godlike beings in most mythical creation stories, because then it's like, okay, the first question is like, where do we come from? Where did the universe come from? How did this all get started? But then after that, you're like, okay, well, what is time? Yeah. Where did the ocean come from? And the easiest way to understand that is to kind of personify, like anthropomorphize the concept into a person or a god. Yeah, a god who is the god of time. And that's what people do. And, uh, you know, it's cool, too. Like, even we talk a lot about Christian tradition, which has some of these elements and, and not others. But if you look into the saints, which are kind of... A lot in a lot of ways, like holdovers of more pagan traditions in the Christian mm-hmm. tradition. Okay, most of them have a, a sort of associated representation like that. Like they'll be the patron saint of travel. Oh yeah, and then the patron saint of you know happy returns and yeah. <laughs> like things like that, where the saints end up playing the role in earlier mythological and folkloric traditions. Lesser gods and demigods would play where they represent particular aspects of human experience or particular things you can hope for or pray for the saints end up playing that role. So they're there. It's all there still. It's just in yeah. a different sort of form. We talked in the Hero's Journey how it's basically three parts. The cosmogonic cycle is the same. The second part being transformations, and that's really where all of the Hero's Journeys take place. In the period of change. That's the part that's interesting. That's the part that's worth there's telling the a story about. Then there's the middle, which is everything, basically, yeah. except for the beginning or the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the meat of the issue, as we yeah. discussed last week. Oh, yeah. The burger patty. Yes. It's the turkey and the cheese mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, I could go on. Yeah, lettuce, onions. So the last part of the cycle, I mean, the middle part that, you know, every basically any story you could tell, and, and there are so many stories to illustrate, you know, the differentiation of things and the the smaller scale cosmogonic cycle, which ends up being the hero's journey repeated in larger scales and smaller scales mm. and the saculum and the seasons and everything we talked about. But inevitably, in every mythological tradition pretty much, there comes the question of, okay, well, what happens at the very end, mm-hmm. right? What's the end? Oh, yeah. And so Joseph Campbell defines this last period of the cosmogonic cycle as dissolutions, and that's where things start to fall apart, and 
end up sort of returning back to that basic original state of being of the universe of nothingness or chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, just on the small scale of the hero cycle, the, the hero's journey cycle. Yeah, there's just kind of chilling at home, doing stuff, mm-hmm. going out by your routine, and then do some changes. You know, the story occurs. Mm-hmm. You do your journey, and then you go back home, and then go back about your routine. Yeah, and routine is just is a less active period. It's yeah. the it's the low energy part of the cycle, which is also like winter time, mm-hmm. right? There's not nothing happening, but it's the quiet, low energy, dormant period. And if you think about that on a universal scale, that's the time sort of between between big bangs, right? Yeah. <laughs> or like on the not between big bangs, but you know what I mean. Yeah. After the big freeze and before the next big bang is this yeah. dormant period for the universe at large, scientifically and mythologically. So this this last period dissolutions is kind of where all the I don't know. There are a lot of really fun stories all the way through, but some of the best stories are, of course, stories of the end of days, right? And yeah. Ragnarok and everything coming to an end. You can kind of divide them into two different basic types, right? There are traditions that believe in a linear cosmogony or cosmogony where there's the beginning all the stuff in the middle and then the end and that's it it's over forever and then there's cyclical you know traditions that believe there's a beginning all the stuff in the middle the end and then another beginning later on yeah it's cycle yeah that's what it means that's what you said yeah (laughs) so like in hindu tradition there's cyclical time each one is called a kalpa and each one lasts 4.1 to 8.2 billion years well goddamn yeah, it's a long which one. is one day for Brahma. Brahma being the like great creator god. So yeah. where would they get that number from? I don't know. So this creator god, this is this is Hindu tradition is super cool. So Brahma is the creator god, mm-hmm. right? Each day for Brahma is four point one to eight point two billion years. So he's not very old. It's only like two or three days old. Yeah, but he'll be alive for three hundred and eleven trillion forty billion years. That's how long this creator god will live. So he's still a little baby. Um, I mean, yes. If he's even been born yet. This might not be the first Kalpa. Mm, you're right. Our, I mean, according to yeah. science, what are we, 14 billion? So we're probably in the second Kalpa, according yeah. to Hinduism. So it could be the second day, day. of his life. But yeah. also, like, his life probably went on before. Yeah. In the previous universe, before our Big Bang. Maybe. Well, there was a different creator god, maybe. Oh, yeah. You know, one thing that I like to think about, too, with comparing like the Hindu myth where the Kalpas are 4.1 to 8.2 billion years and each one of those is a day for the creator God. If you think about that sort of idea alongside the um, Christian idea of seven days, everything being created in seven days, yeah. but days being God's days, yeah, yeah. like then it can line up even more perfectly with <laughs> scientific. Yeah. What we're saying like, yeah, yeah. on the first day on the first Four billion years, mm-hmm. God created the. Well, actually, this is the second on the the first eleven billion years. God created light, stars. Yeah. On the second day, which was three billion years long. Yeah. God created the earth. Right. And on and the, then the third day, which was about a which billion we're years. Still in, yeah, yeah, a <laughs> yeah. billion years. Yeah. He fast tracked a lot of stuff in that third, fourth, and fifth day. Yeah. Well, days got shorter because he made the stars yeah. and the plant and the earth. So then it was like, oh shit. Something else keeping track. Yeah, so in cyclic traditions, such as the Hindu tradition, each one of these kalpas is going to have a beginning, a middle, and end, and then start over. That's an interesting different definition of the word day, because our definition of the word day is a cycle around the sun. No, it's not. It's a spinning of the earth. (laughs) A cycle of the sun around our perspective. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as an entity that transcends all of the universe, what sun is he watching to, to track of a day? Right, or what rotational cycle is he keeping drag of? Maybe he just created the Milky Way, and in the time it takes for one part of the Milky Way to circle all the way around to the other side of the Milky Way is yeah. one day. How long is that period? I think it's like 130 billion years, something like that. No, is I it? Don't, oh, I don't I should look it up. 220 to 360 million years. That's pretty cool. Which I'm guessing it varies that much because the outside is probably spinning faster or slower than the inside. Who the fuck knows? I want to talk about Ragnarok. Right now? Sure. All right. So you mentioned Ragnarok. Uh, what the fuck is that? You've probably heard of Vikings. Oh, Vikings, yeah, and Vikings. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they were a cool people, <laughs> bunch of little guys. That's a good way of describing it. <laughs> yeah, Norse mythology. Norse mythology is, um, I feel like at least here in the U.S., one of the better known 
mythologies outside of Christianity and the Christian tradition. Yeah, they've they've gained popularity in like Marvel comics, right? Yeah, I mean Thor, or Marvel movies. I mean Thor, Odin, and Loki yeah. are principal characters of the Norse mythological canon, and are now characters in. So now they're mainstream, which means now they're, they're mainstream. Not, now they're not cool anymore. No, but they are cool. Oh, also, I was going to bring this up in this episode that we talked about Mimir. Oh yeah, a couple episodes back when we were talking about Young. He comes from Norse mythology, and he was the wisest of the gods, sort of also a water spirit. And a bunch of fucked up things happened to him, like he was decapitated and his head was returned to his former tribe. Norse mythological tradition is similar to Greek mythological tradition in which there's like a beginning set of gods and then another set of gods that kind of fuck with the previous set of gods. Like generations of gods. Generations of gods, yeah. yeah. And Odin being the, the king of the like second set of gods, who's the most closely associated with human beings gods. So like those are the ones that usually are on sort of on our side. Mimir was an older generation god before the Odin generation of gods. Anyway, they cut his head off, and Odin preserves his head in herbs and gains knowledge from it because he was the wisest of the gods. So yeah. Odin's like, I'm going to learn what I can from your brain. Uh, in another story, Mimir rests by a well at the roots of Yggdrasil, which is the world tree. Oh, yeah, we talked about that in, uh, in the Carl Jung series, right? Well, that was Jung's experience with Mimir. Is he, oh, yeah. He, he like goes to this place. He goes up this mountain, and on the mountain is like a pedestal. Now that I've read this Joseph Campbell book, I know that that whole thing was a representation of the world navel or like the connected point on the world <laughs> to the divine like creation zone. Anyway, Mimir sits by this well, and the well contains one of Odin's eyes. We got to do a whole Norse mythology thing because yeah. it's really complicated and complicated. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we can even fit it into one episode, let alone think we can. a small section of this episode. No, <clears throat> but Mimir, anyway, is a Norse god associated with wisdom. Uh, so is Odin. There's a lot of overlap and cross-pollination and gods playing different roles at different times and sort of... Being one way, being representing one thing in one myth and then another thing in another myth. Mm, yeah. One cool thing about Odin, and it's actually a repeated theme in the Cosmogonic Cycle a lot, is the idea of having to sacrifice oneself to oneself. Now, what does that mean? In the case of Odin, he like has to hang from the world tree. He's stabbed with a spear and cuts out one of his eyes so that he can gain wisdom. <laughs> yeah, and sa- there. yeah, hangs from this tree for a number of days and nights. But he's sa- but he he doesn't make the sacrifice to any other god. He makes the sacrifice to himself. Just to get knowledge. To gain wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, and foresight. He actually what Odin gets from that experience of sacrificing himself to himself is the gift of foresight. He can see the future. Oh. But he has to lose an eye to do it. And hang from the world tree for three days. It's counterintuitive. Remove an eye to see more. Yeah, but that's how it works. Yeah. As we learned from Carl Jung, if you want to do something... Do the opposite. ...of what you think you should do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which Jung probably learned from Odin. Odin's older than Jung. Older than Jung. Shit's <laughs> getting weird, man. I know. Anyway, there's all these characters in North mythology. Again, we're going to do... Well, now that we're into the fucking realm of mythology and its convoluted craziness, we're probably going to do a few episodes. And um, I think maybe in the next episode we'll line out the basic Norse tradition. Okay. But at the end of it, <laughs> spoiler alert, <laughs> they predict that the world will end like this. So Ragnarok in Old Norse literally means the doom of the gods. Yeah, I've been wondering, because I always hear that word, Ragnarok, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it means Doom of the Gods. Ragnarok, Doom of the Gods. Uh, In Scandinavian mythology, it's the end of the worlds of gods and men. There's one Icelandic poem called Volupsa, Volupsa, which is translated as Sibyl's Prophecy, which actually, like, lays out the whole thing that's going to happen, what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Typically, like, with a lot of end of world traditions the actual end of the world is preceded by a bunch of shitty periods a bunch of bad times right in oh, this yeah. case like really terrible winters bunch wars of chaos. among men moral yeah. yeah chaos demons and giants showing up and messing with people just general instability i suppose i mean even the christian tradition right there's yeah, right. a lot of bad shit going on before yeah. the return of jesus and in the christian tradition he comes down like a dragon with swords coming out of his mouth but oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that too. <laughs> but 
the end of days in the Norse mythological tradition, giants and demons come back to the earth and start attacking, and the gods fight them and die and lose, basically. Oh. Ragnarok, or Doom of the Gods, in the stories of the gods, it's a prophecy told to Odin and the other gods of what's going to end up happening to them and to the world of men at the end of days. So it's not something that happened that they observed. It's something no, they're like, oh, this is No, but the how, story is told, yeah. This is how the end will occur. Yeah. The end of days will be preceded by brutal winters, like a really long winter where spring doesn't come. And there's like terrible winds from all directions. Snow is falling. You know, obviously the Norse had a uh, healthy respect for cold and winter time. Right? <laughs> yeah. This winter is going to last for the length of three normal winters with no summers in between. So like three years of winter. Humankind is going to become in this time period so desperate for food and for the necessities of life that basically normal culture and morality is going to fall away and everyone's just going to be at war with each other. You know, any post-apocalyptic sort of thing you've watched where yeah. there's restless bands of vagabonds vying for the limited resources that remain. They call it an age of swords and axes. Brother will slay brother. Father will slay son. All that. During this time period, there's these two wolves who are actually the offspring of Fenrir, another giant wolf. And they're called Skull and Hati. And they hate the sun and the moon, and they have chased the sun and the moon for all time, right? Trying to eat the sun and the moon. I think this is part of their understanding of eclipses, is these oh. two great wolves that then devour the sun or devour the moon. And the moon. Yeah. But in this case, they're finally going to like actually devour the sun and the moon and all of the stars and leave nothing but a uh, black void above the earth. You think about this sort of myth, and then you think about, like, I wonder if there was any really huge eruptions or any, like, meteor strikes that left, like, a lot of strata in the atmosphere. That's what I was just wondering, because, like, yeah, these are Norse, meaning, like, Norway, Sweden. There's a lot of volcanic activity, especially over in Iceland, that would probably cover that part of the world in ash. I mean, I know we are kind of approaching this whole thing as these stories being just representations of the cyclical experience that everybody goes through. Yeah. But I do sort of wonder if, at least in this tradition, there was a a big eruption that sort of resulted in the template of this story where, like, everything... Because things blacking out the sky is pretty common in in, um, end-of-days mythology, and I have to imagine that a lot of that came from eruptions. Yeah. We talk about nuclear winter or, like, ash winter, but, like... Because what could really happen in the event of a huge eruption is us not having any sunlight for three years. Yeah. And most people are going to die. Yeah, I think there was, I think there have been periods of multiple year effects in terms of climate caused by... uh, Yeah, I think there uh, was one in the like 500s, like not even that long ago. Yeah. You know? A couple years, crop production was affected by, I think there was one like the 1500s too, like not... Like during the Black Death, I'm right? sure there's been several right in the past. Right before the Black yeah. Death, yeah. It's not that rare, guys. We're probably <laughs> going to see one. I mean, yeah. us or our grandkids. Anyway, so these two wolves that have hunted the sun and the moon consume the sun and the moon and all the stars. Yeah, so that's that's in the final, the final, final, the... Uh, this is the end of days. The Ragna Ragna Rock. Yggdrasil, the, the, the great tree that holds up the cosmos and holds it all together, which is one of my favorite images, will tremble. Trees and mountains will fall to the ground. So again, sort of eruption oh, symbology, yeah. right? Big earthquake. The chain, so there's this epic chain that's been holding the monstrous wolf Fenrir will break and the beast will run free. Jormungandr, the mighty serpent who lives at the bottom of the ocean and encircles all land will rise from the depths, spilling seas over onto the shore as he makes landfall. So mm. there's some tsunami action. Yeah, shit. Again... People saw earthquakes, people saw volcanic <laughs> eruptions, yeah. and so these weren't but unknown also, ideas. And also, yeah, these stories were kind of constructed over hundreds of years. Right. Like, yeah, there's only been a couple eruptions that size in our lifetimes, but like, yeah, over a couple hundred years, you're going to see a couple of them, even if it's not enough to block out the sun, it's still... Yeah, or even if it blocks out the sun for a few days, it's scary as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's cold, exactly, yeah. it's like, oh shit, the sun didn't come up today. What happened? Yeah. Oh, the wolf ate it. You know? <laughs> anyway. Naturally. What else could have happened? This trembling in these earthquakes will shake the ship uh, Naglfar, which in Old Norse means nail ship. This is a cool idea. Have you heard of this before? No. It's this ship made out of the fingernails and toenails of the dead. 
Brutal. And it's crewed by giants and demons and shit like that. And Loki is the captain of the ship, who's the traitor to the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the god that portrays the gods. So this is a cool Fenrir, that giant wolf, runs across the earth, but with fire coming out of his eyes and his mouth, right? So you wonder, like, again, is that related to some pyroclastic flow or something? Yeah. Or, uh, you can imagine some eruption, like, oh, fire. Yeah, just being able to see the lava on a mountain. Yeah, and you're like, oh, fuck. In the middle of the night. Yeah, the dome of, uh, the, dome of the sky. Again, there was a lot of understanding of... The sky being like a dome sitting on the earth and yeah. protecting us from what was outside, but that'll crack open. Whatever's on the other side of it will shine through and it'll yeah. be fucking weird to look at. The Bifrost. But then Odin will come and fight Fenrir and the other human warriors that he is. Oh, you've heard of Valhalla, right? I've heard the word. Yeah. But I don't know what it means. In Norse mythology, the idea of Valhalla is like if you are a warrior and you die in battle and you die a good death. Odin will pick you out to be in his army for the end of days. Oh, yeah, like Valor. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a... Valiant. And Valhalla is like the feast hall of Odin where you get to go. It's like a different heaven mm. where if you're a badass warrior, you get to go feast with all the other badass warriors. Oh, yeah, like Harry Potter and mm-hmm. uh, Frodo and... Yeah. Or uh, not Frodo. He didn't yeah, win. Yeah, fuck Frodo. <laughs> Gollum. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but, yeah, you get to go to Valhalla and... Um, sit there at this awesome feast until the end of days, mm-hmm. at which point Odin calls upon you to, to go to war against all these destructive forces that are going to bring it, try and bring it into the universe. Yeah. And we'll, we'll go in this in more depth later, but it's a bunch of crazy things happen and who knows what all is related to <laughs> earthquakes and eruptions <laughs> yeah. and things like that. But Norse mythology has got a pretty cool, pretty cool example of the idea of the dissolution period in the cosmogonic cycle. But the Norse mythology, that's like just the end and it's over. It's a linear cosmogonic cycle as opposed to like Mayan tradition where there's an end of the world and then another. Yeah, the beginning of a new world. The beginning of a new world coming yeah. again. It's weird to think about, sometimes I think about this, if on a large enough scale we are just like in an atom, like if each atom is sort of its own universe. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that means there's like so many more of our universe yeah. than we could imagine there being. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that, like, oh, man, it's impossible to say this. <laughs> yeah. That our perspective of, like, without and within is kind of wrong. Yes, the universe is inside of an atom, but also that atom is in the universe, and both those things are true at the same time. Yeah. So it's not that our universe is inside an atom in a larger universe. It's in an atom in the same universe. It's in an atom in its own in universe. In itself, yeah. Yeah. So it's not really a bigger or smaller universe. It's it the is, same universe. Yeah. And All maybe it's every atom. Yes. Every atom in the universe has the universe in it and vice versa. <laughs> it's very easy to understand. Yeah. When, yeah. But that's why you can birth an entire divinity and godhead. <laughs> In your own mind. Because, like Carl Jung did, yeah. Exactly, because it's all there, man. <laughs> all the building blocks, the whole firmament is all... Firmament, that's the word I was trying to come up with earlier. The firmament is like the sort of fertile soil from which all things are birthed. It also means like the... Or I don't know, I think of the firmament as like the dark velvet of the universe that the stars are all sitting in. Kind of ether. Yeah, yeah. abyssal kind of darkness everything is everything is nothing (laughs) i mean the basic rule of the cosmogonic cycle is like this nothing is nothing until nothing is something and then something becomes everything becomes nothing becomes something (laughs) yeah it's all really fucking confusing (laughs) but yeah like that's i mean it's i don't know just that question that is impossible to answer why is there something instead of nothing it makes so much more sense for there to be nothing but the more you think about it and the more you rule it out you're not gonna stop there from being something there's still something and you're it thinking about it (laughs) yeah and it's uh in summation beautiful animals (laughs) like what i want you to walk away from this weird ass episode (laughs) with is just the understanding that you are you are gods (laughs) you are lions (laughs) yes 
And in each of you is, yes, the abyss and the darkness and the evil and the coldness of Ragnarok, but also the beauty and the inspiration and the warmth and the fullness of creation. So maybe you think you are just a listener. What is just a listener? You mean lions are just lions and gods are just gods? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that episode. Yeah, I don't know. How are we going to get out of this? Uh, so that episode got a lot weirder than I thought it would. I kind of like it. Yeah, you know, I uh, there's plenty of stuff I didn't talk about that we should talk about, but I think we'll save it for other. Yeah, I think uh, things. I mean, my brain certainly hurts more than I wanted it to. Yeah, or more than I expected it to. Little final takeaway: cosmogonic cycle, emanation, transformation, dissolution, beginning, middle, end. Same thing as the hero's journey, just on a big ass scale of yeah. the entire universe. And every explanation you've ever heard of it is just made up. They're all right. With, yeah, they're they're not, all, every single one of them is right. They're not correct, but they're not wrong. Yeah. And anything you can think of, that's right, too. Yeah. The definition of right and wrong and the definition of good and evil doesn't fucking exist. It only exists as far as you know that it is real. <laughs> as, far as, as far as your perception could. It uh, turns out, as an observer, you are the creator. Turns out you don't have to be high to be fucking stoned. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're not even high. <laughs> Remember I was saying we should do some episodes on mushrooms? We're not on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fuck is this? Look at us just pretending like we know what we're talking about. That's the definition of a podcast right there. Yeah. Nailed it. There Nailed you go. It. Anyway, speaking of... Speaking of nailing speaking it. Speaking of nothing or let's something. Let's stick or, the landing on this episode with a fortune cookie. <laughs> the little ancient Chinese tradition we like to call ancient. a fortune cookie. This is obviously in keeping with true Chinese tradition. Yeah, exactly. Andy, I ask you this. What? Are you ready? Yes. For me to open this fortune cookie after yes. all this buildup. Oh, fuck. Mm. Do not underestimate yourself. You are capable of everything and more. Wow, that's on the nose, huh? Yeah, I mean, like, you are capable of everything, but also just, you are everything. You are, ca- you and more, which is pretty bold, because you already said everything, so. But there's more than that. Yeah. Because there's more than just things. There's stuff. And there's everything junk. and every stuff. And there's <laughs> every stuff. That's a cool word. I like that one. Yeah, that's new. Anyway, energy is matter. Matter is energy. And you guys are the best thing in the world. You guys are thirsty you should drink some water where you can get that water you're gonna grab things and you're gonna juice it <laughs> water's gonna come out <laughs> water's gonna come out you're gonna pour it into a little glass you're gonna just dump that glass contents into your mouth and get all hydrated yeah so thank you guys for joining this conversation with <laughs> yeah. Tyler and I that was a little less uh, a little more free form much more so some than other episodes but we just kind of got off on a tangent and we're having a weird day kept going we're having a real weird day <laughs> so this is where we ended up and you get I, to listen to it yeah appreciate you guys Anyway, come back next week for some more bullshit. How do you think the world's going to end? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as we know, the the entire planet is inside of a giant pickle jar. Right. Which is... Naturally. Yeah, and we're just uh, on a particularly round pickle mm-hmm. floating in that jar. And at one point, somebody's going to eat that pickle yeah have you ever heard of zoroastrianism mm, spell it z-o-r-o-a-s-t-r-i-a-n-i-s-m zoroastrianism yes oh you're talking about zoroastrianism no i haven't heard of it it is an ancient pre-islamic uh, middle eastern tradition or there religion it. that i was going to tell you all about but there's a paywall on that article so <laughs> 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 i'm not gonna motherfucker <laughs>